Okay, a couple quick questions to get us started. I'm going to make it real easy. What book have we been in? First Corinthians. What topic for about the past oh, four weeks have we been on? The topic. What's that? Sin in the church. Yep. And even more specifically, Christian liberties. Christian liberties. Okay, good reminders. So we're going to be in uh, chapter 10. We started chapter 10 last week, and we're going to continue on in chapter 10. We got about halfway through it, and we're going to review all that if you weren't here. Um, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But as you know, I like to start with some questions. And so the first question is this. Give an example of how we can love someone but still not be able to enjoy a close connection with them, what would cause this? Can you kind of get what I'm talking about here, where you love someone, but you're not able to really enjoy a close connection with them? Some of you may have relationships like that. What might cause something like that? Bitterness, okay. Difference in beliefs, okay. Okay, someone's in sin or addiction. Some some of you have had to kind of set boundaries with family members and say, like, I just can't hang out with you. I love you, but this isn't good for me or for you. So, yeah, but it's, the love is there, but having to draw some lines. Hunter? Anger? Yeah. Any other thoughts? So kind of, oh, Evie, this isn't a hand raise. That may work over uh, North Prep or whatever, but here we do it like this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, completely. It doesn't mean you stop loving them, but there's been something that caused a break in that con connection or enjoyment of relationship. So we can all agree that this is a reality, right? Like this happens. We, we can love people, but need to separate ourselves from them for whatever reason. So we can all agree that is reality. Next question. Why do you think we believers sometimes walk the fence or hold hands with the world and then what is at the root of this so why so all of us would love especially when we show up on sunday to be able to say like no i didn't walk the fence at all i was way over here we talk about like getting our toes as close to that line as we can or kind of like walking the fence most of you know what that and a lot of us want that down in our heart there's a big part of us that wants that but we will find ourselves making compromises, walking the fence, holding hands with the world, kind of doing some of those things. Why? What's at the root of that? Want to fit in? Okay, maybe a peer pressure. Does peer pressure go away when you're an adult? What else? Fear? Okay. Pleasurable, right? It's like short time... Short-time pleasure, yeah. Did you have one? No? Temptation, we get tempted and led away, and we end up, before we know it, we're like, how did I, why am I doing this? Comfortable, comfortable, enjoyable, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times those are things. So we're going to be kind of talking about these things a little bit today, but I want us to wrap our head around the things that we're talking about in Scripture. This is all very practical stuff. We're going to be talking about meat sacrifice to idols. And you're like, what? How does that tie in? It ties into our life. 
And all of God's word is applicable to our life. And so it's important for us to be able to make the connections like this is about our real everyday life. This isn't just some ancient ceremonies or ancient ideas. These are truths from God's word that even may not be in the culture context that we are living in today. The truths are still valuable for us. So remember kind of the big picture of the book. The big idea of this book is be conformed to Christ, not the culture. It's easy right now in our world to try and not, not even not try, but the world is trying to conform us to its way, right? And so that is a reality for all of us is we got the world squeezing in on us. When I say the world, I'm not just talking about the, the things we maybe think of very churchy worldwide, but just the systems of the world, the ideas of the world, the philosophies of the world, the mindsets, you know, uh, in uh, one of the passages he's going to be talking about is the idea is like we raise up to go play and then we sit down to eat. It's kind of like eat, drink and be merry. These are philosophies that are squeezing in on us. And then specifically, we've been talking about this, checking our liberty. That's where that we are in the book. We're at chapter 10. So we'll be moving into something new next week. But we're talking about liberty. And remember, liberty means we have freedom as Christians. God doesn't say you need to follow this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule. There are some areas where we would call them gray areas. And scripture doesn't say you can't or you have to. It's very open to what we, our own choices. But as we've looked at the last few weeks, we see there are principles that God wants us to use when we decide, should I or shouldn't I do this? Is it beneficial? Is it enslaving? Is it going to make my life more complicated? Is it going to hinder my service to the Lord? Is it going to cause others to stumble? Is it going to cause me to stumble? I didn't come up with those out of thin air. We've gotten those out of chapter 8 to 10. Those principles are in that, uh, those chapters. So we've been talking about the idea in chapter 10 of beware of letting your freedom lead you or others into sin. So we talked about that last week, and he gave Israel an example of Israel. Don't let your liberty lead to sin. Our first point in that kind of a review way is God's people are not immune to sin. That's important for us to remember. We can fall very far, very quickly. The old Baptist term was backslide. We're all, we all have that potential. We all have that possibility. None of us are immune to sin. And it doesn't mean that God didn't save us. It doesn't mean that we're not going to heaven. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us anymore. It doesn't mean that we're not forgiven, but it means we can be trapped and harmed by sin. Just because we're God's people doesn't mean we're immune from sin. So the, the verse, this is where we uh, start reading through the chapter. He says, moreover, brethren, I don't, do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Yikes. Now, you see this part here. Their bodies are scattered in the wilderness. But what's all the other stuff before that? God led them by a pillar. God got them through the Red Sea. God provided them with food. God provided them with water. God was doing everything he could. He was on their side. He's like, you're my people. I'm going to take care of you. I love you. I care about you. I'm going to provide for you. But yeah, the people went their own way. 
and they had to get disciplined. They had to get a big spanking from God. And a bunch of them died in the wilderness and never got to go into the promised land. A whole generation of them died in the wilderness. And so the idea here is we're not immune. They weren't immune from sin. We're not immune from sin. Sin starts with a desire. We talked about this last week. Here's the next verses. We're just going through the passage. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them. In other words, he's going, hey, we wrote this down so that you don't do the same thing. They had desires for evil things. Do some of us have desires for evil things? Has anybody ever wanted to ram somebody else on the road with their vehicle? If you do not want to ram somebody, you're the person that other people are wanting to ram. Just kidding. Teasing, teasing. But the idea, the idea here is, hey, we're writing this so that you have an example. Because this is a possibility we can lust or desire after evil things just like they did. That's possible for us. It starts with the desire. Sin starts in the heart. Right? We got these things that are uh, temptations that are put in front of us. This isn't even a temptation if I don't have a desire for that. It's something that starts here that ignites that. It starts in my heart. Sin is dangerous and tricky. How many people here have been tricked by sin? How many people have had sin destroy a part of their life, a relationship, uh, something? Sin brought some kind of destruction. Did it present that? Did it play a commercial and said, in six short months, this is what your marriage is going to look like? In so many things, this is what kind of financial disaster you're going to be in if you make the wrong choices. No, but it causes, many times sin will cause us that danger part, and we fall for the danger part because it's tricky. Scripture shows us that. As it is written, the people sat down to eat or drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt or try create patience, as some of them also tried his patience, and they were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them complained, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Does this sound like some destruction? Does this sound like the sin got them in some dangerous, destructive trouble? It's dangerous. Now, all these things happen to them as examples. Why do we need an example? For our admonition to admonish us. Why? Therefore, take, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let's go back to this. Sin is dangerous. You saw all the people get harmed. And then he also makes sure they know, take heed. You could fall. It's tricky. You're thinking you're doing fine. You're thinking this isn't a big deal. You're thinking this is never going to bite me. You remember I gave the example of uh, playing with fire and getting burnt? Like the scripture says, who can take coals into their lap and not get burned but many of us here have played with fire in literal fire little fire bugs when we were kids and then some of us want to play with fire when it comes to temptation and sin and we've had it bite us bad and cause damage so what paul's saying here i'm gonna take a big step back christian liberty you have freedom he doesn't give a bunch of rules for every little thing we can do. But beware, because you could get tricked. And that's the whole context of what he's telling them. Israel thought they were doing fine, but they got tricked. 
Is this ringing a bell here? Some of you, sin is avoidable. You read all this, you can be like, hmm. well, I guess we're just doomed. I guess we're all just going to get burnt by sin. I guess we're all going to get tricked. I guess we're all going to get a spanking from God for uh, the inevitable sin we're going to fall into. And that's not what he says. He says, no temptation has overtaken you, such as is common to man. Everybody, you've not, you're not experiencing a unique temptation. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So he's not going to give you more than you, temptation than you can handle. But with the temptation, he will give you a way of escape. Remember, we talked about you can flee. You can get away from it. That you may be able to bear up under it. You can get through it. He's going to either give you the strength to get through it or give you an opportunity to get out of the situation. This all seem familiar? Any thoughts on any of this? I know that's a very generic, general question. Does any of it seem confusing or cloudy? Can you relate to any of these things in your own life? Can you see as we've gone through maybe a point where this desire turned into sin and that sin brought destruction? Ginger, did you have something? Yeah. Yeah, there's a scripture that says bad company corrupts good morals. And that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Really hard. No matter how set you are, if you're hanging out with a crowd uh, that's influencing you the wrong way to continue walking a straight line. Good. Any other thoughts? All right. So now we're kind of moving into a new uh, part of this passage. Verse 14. And the idea here in these next few verses is don't let your liberty cost you your connection with Christ. So don't let your liberty lead you into sin. That's why we just got done talking about a bunch of sin there. And don't let your liberty cost you your connection with Christ. You're like, I got freedom. And that was one of the Corinthians' favorite saying. Like, all things are lawful. All things are lawful. All things are lawful. They would throw that one up. Hey, we can go into the temple. This is how they brought it up in the very first point. We can go into the temple prostitutes, the pagan temple prostitutes, because all things are lawful. So they really twisted this saying that we have freedom. We're saying, don't let your liberty, it can cost you a connection with Christ. Before we get into this section, there were a couple things, and I've said it over and over, but I just want to kind of set the landscape in case you uh, haven't been here or forgot. He's particularly dealing in these next verses about meat sacrificed to pagan idols. So one, there's two different kind of like overlapping situations here. One is the pagan priest would go offer this really good meat in the pagan temple feast and sacrifices, and there would be leftovers. So they would take that leftovers, which was really good meat, but it had already been used to some kind of degree. So then they would sell it in the meat market and then people would go buy it. And sometimes it was marked. Sometimes it wasn't very often not, but it was a discounted meat. And so Christians could go in and go like, man, look at this chuck roast is only so much per pound, whatever, not knowing or not knowing whether it had been sacrificed to an idol. There were also, these, a lot of these Christians had come out of, they used to participate in those feasts. They used to go to the feasts. They used to sacrifice. And so they would go, they would be drawn to go back 
because that's where all their friends were. And they would be drawn to go hang out with their friends and have a good meal and eat some of this meat that was sacrificed to idols. And so these Christians in Corinth, some of them are like, you can eat it. We have no rules. We have no dietary restrictions. You can eat this meat. And others are like, how dare you eat the meat? You can't eat the meat. And Paul says, hey, you have freedom. And then he's going to give them some ground rule ground rules here. Does this make sense? So what he's saying, though, even though you have liberty, you got to be careful because that liberty can cost you a connection with Christ if you misuse your liberty, if you abuse your freedom. We have freedom in this country, but there are a lot of people that abuse that freedom, and it causes problems. So in these next verses, Paul is saying, you know, when you participate uh, in communion, which we're going to do, it does demonstrate, it demonstrates a lot of things, but it demonstrates two things. One, I'm connected to Christ. I have a connection to Christ. I have a fellowship with Christ. I am one with Christ as we celebrate communion. The other thing it does is it says, I'm connected to the body of Christ. That's what the point he's making. He's like, when we have communion, you're acknowledging or showing that you fellowship or you hold hands with Jesus and you're showing that you hold hands with his children. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. So he's like, hey, you guys got common sense. I want you to listen. Doesn't this make sense? The cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Again, his point here is, when we take the bread and the cup, we're showing or demonstrating, I'm one with Christ. When we all take the bread and cup together, we're showing we are one with one another. That's his point here. I'm making this point because the next point, next couple points are going to kind of depend on it. So does everyone understand when you take the communion, you're showing you're connected to Christ. You're in fellowship with Christ. That's where your fellowship is, and you're in fellowship with one another, right? These next verses, he again demonstrates that participating in worship indicates fellowship or connection. And here, he confirms idols have no power in themselves. They're only pieces of wood or stone. They're not gods with supernatural powers. And meat really has no power to make you holy or unholy. What you eat will not make you holy or unholy. His concern is that participating in pagan feasts demonstrated a fellowship with demonic forces. So that's what he's saying. Observed Israel after the flesh are not those who eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. In other words, hey, back in Israel when they sacrificed, they were showing they're a part of this belief system. They're showing that they're united with it. They're showing that's what they're connected to. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or that's offered to idols anything? In other words, idols have no power in all themselves. Rather, but here's where I am, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So he's saying, hey, you have communion. You're demonstrating that you're connected to Christ. You want to go eat in the pagan temple? You know what you're showing? That you're connected and have a connection with demons. So he's trying to draw a line for them to be able to see. 
the idea here is that it's physically possible for a believer, if for those believers, it was physically possible for them to show up to a feast and participate in that feast. And then on that day, they could do that on Saturday and then come to church on Sunday and celebrate. It's not, he's not saying it's impossible for you to actually do that. That's it's what, but what's not possible is to be in fellowship with both at the same time, because that's the issue here. They're walking the fence. They're doing a little of both. Right. And what he's saying is pick a lane. You got to pick a lane. And so for us, we need to realize that we're in fellowship with God or not. When we hold hands with one, we've released hands with the other. So the physical act of participating may be possible. And I'm going to make, hopefully make this make sense on our level. However, our fellowship, our connection, not salvation, with Christ will be lost when we connect ourselves with those things that are against God. So let me give an example here. Or let me just kind of go back to the original question. Remember when I said, can you love somebody and have a relationship with them, but not enjoy connection? And there has to be a kind of like, we're not really enjoying this right now for whatever reason. You've kind of crossed the line until we get that straightened out. Things aren't good here. I still love you. Uh, I'll forgive you, but you're out here. Remember how he said that? That's kind of the idea here. What he's saying to them is for a believer, you don't get kicked out of the family of God. But you're not going to enjoy some sweet, cozy fellowship with Christ if you're doing these things. And for us, the same is true. And, and, and we're going to get to it. And even with communion, we realize that Christ took care of all of our sin. But a lot of times what we do is we want to hold hands with both. We want to engage in willing sin and know that we're sinning and feel all cozy with Christ. He's going, it doesn't work like that. You got to pick a lane. I'm not going to kick you out. I'm not going to kick you out of heaven. I'm not going to say you're not my child, but you're not going to enjoy a close connection with me. Has anybody here ever experienced that? You're like, I've had people here come confess I was outright lying to you about this. And I know the reason they're doing that isn't because they really care about that. They feel like they lost a connection with God until they make that right. Until they clean up the mess. For the Christian, what scripture says, he says, I am faithful and just to forgive all sins. If, what does he say? If you confess your sins... He is faithful and just to forgive you all sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. So what's the condition once, because we all find ourselves here, right? We cross the line. How many people probably crossed the line this week? You willingly sinned or did something or, you know, you've known, you should have known. Nobody. We got a couple mild head shakes, but there's a couple. Carly did. I didn't want to call her out, but she did. Uh, she raised her hand. So I'm not going to. Um, but all of us do that. And to regain that fellowship, you confess the sin that you know you've done. That's what he says. Confess means to say the same thing as you acknowledge. You don't make an excuse like it was really a tough day. And you God, you know how uh, tired I was and. You know, this is one of my weak spots. That's not confessing. Confessing is, I chose to do this, and I know that's against you. 
I want to acknowledge and admit that that was wrong. He doesn't say you need to beg for forgiveness. He's already forgiven you. He says you need to confess your sins and you need to admit it. And once you admit it, he says he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So in other words, he's not going, huh, got a couple other things that you didn't remember to mention. Hmm. It's like, we're good now. So let me give an example of Evie. This isn't a true example. I'll make it up. Um, I won't use a true one today because she's in here. If she wasn't in here, I'd use a true one today. So let's say, let's say Evie willingly lies to me. I love Evie. I'm going to forgive Evie for that. We're, uh, you know, obviously I would go to the ends of the earth for her, give up my life for her. Total love and devotion, commitment to her. This relationship is safe. Let's say she lies to me and disrespects me, calls me a name because I confront her about lying. Well, you're right. So let's say she did that. Now, are we going to enjoy some cozy time? Hey, you want to cuddle over here and let's watch something? Hey, you want to go out for ice cream? Hey, is that going to be happening? No. Did I quit loving her? No. But let's say she comes in then and says, Dad, I just want to acknowledge it was wrong. I lied to you, and that was wrong. And then on top of that, I called you a name, and that was wrong too. I just want to admit I know those things are wrong. I want to enjoy fellowship with you, and I know these things are That's what God says for us. And so I want us to acknowledge, just like that can't be happening, what happens is when we're participating in things of the world, for us it's not meat sacrifice to idols, but when we're doing these things and walking in blatant sin, he's going, okay, you're in timeout right now. And if you feel a little uneasy, thank God, because that's, I always say, like I think of conviction as this. It's like kind of like a, a you want a dog to like run back towards somebody like, hey, yeah. Right? And I feel like that's what conviction is on the heart. It's like, give that to God. And it's kind of like going like, 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 don't. You don't want this feeling anymore. So when you're convicted, thank God for that. Thank, thank him that your heart has not hardened. Thank you that you can sense something uncomfortable in the relationships. Thank you. I know I need to confess. And when you confess, ex accept his forgiveness immediately. So I want us just to look. Wow. Wow. I'm not a speed reader either. That's why we're having this trouble. Don't let your liberty cost you your connection with Christ. Bringing it back to the context. There's things here we may have some liberty in. But when we go out of bounds on those things, it can cost us an enjoyment and a connection with Christ. So that's what Paul's point here is. He's like, you can't do both. Paul reminds them this two-timing behavior provokes God and he'll discipline those who live this way. If you're not confessing your sin, if you're not taking care of that, God as a loving parent is going to discipline you just like if Evie did that in that situation he gave, she would be getting disciplined. Not because I hate her, but because I don't want her to continue down the wrong path. We must remember the same goes for us. We can't walk according. We can't walk 
according to the flesh and the spirit at the same time. It's one or the other. We can't hold hands with God and with the world. We can't walk in, in sin and with God. I'm going to say, we arrive in and out of this, don't we? Goal is be popped out of sin really quickly and spend as much time walking with Christ and enjoying that connection. And as soon as you get out of that, you go back. You think I can do both. We just can't do that. We need to take care of our sin issues with God. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Again, could you disagree with that? Yes, as good as you can do that, what is it? Jealousy is probably stronger than me. It's going to make it stronger than the same. Cause and consequences. So if there's something that's saying, like, we do need to cause and consequences, we need to cause and consequences. That's not what's going to be able to cause and consequences. You know, you know, it's a very strange thing. And you need to take care of that. Of that. Seek your own, you think of using liberty, but of each other's well being. It reminds them the food's not the issue. If eating the food will cause the other person to be tripped up, to stumble, or to fall, he's going to give some <laughs> information. And the, the idea here is not to inquire up and down. This kind of surprises me in scripture. What he's basically saying is don't ask. When it comes to this topic, just don't ask. You go to the meat thing, and you're like, oh, this meat's on sale. Don't go. Was a sacrifice to an idol? Or you go over to someone's house, and they, they, they serve you something, and they, you're like, was this sacrifice to an idol? He's like, just don't ask. Enjoy, and don't ask. Uh, because he says that there could be some unnecessary guilt. I was trying to think of an example. There's probably a lot of them. This is kind of a, maybe a little cheesy, but... It may be like a person who cooks with wine. Let's say a person cooks with wine. It's not forbidden in scripture. They're cooking with wine. They cook a nice meal with wine. With wine. But you realize that there's a fellow believer. That fellow believer comes over who used to be an alcoholic. They're saved out of alcoholism. They've been clean. They've been sober. They're doing great. Uh, the thing not to do is go like, hey, I just wanted to let you know this has some wine in it right now. After they finish their, their dinner, you're like, you just had a bunch of wine. <laughs> You don't want to do that to them because then they're like, oh, well, I guess I'm off the wagon now. The idea here is that if they find out after the meal, it might somehow cause a chain reaction that's going to lead them back into bondage to alcohol. So he says, it's better. Don't even mention it. Again, a little cheesy, but you can kind of see as we look at these next verses, he's basically saying, like, just don't get into it. Eat whatever's sold in the market. 
ask no questions for conscience sake. For the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. In other words, God provided all this stuff to eat, eat up. If any of those who do not believe invites you to eat dinner and you desire to go, so you go over someone who they worship still in these pagan temples, you go to dinner over their house, they're still pagan worshipers, eat whatever's set before you. Asking no question for conscience sake. Was it was this sacrificed in the temple? Don't do that. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, then there's something in their mind that they're going like, uh, this probably isn't good. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for the conscience of, uh, for conscious sake for the Lord's. So do you kind of get what he's saying here? He's like, you got an unbeliever. They come over and they're like, hey, I made this sacrifice to an idol. And he's saying, if you eat it, you're kind of going, that's cool. Because it's already bugging them. And so you're kind of putting the stamp of approval on it. If it's bugging them, then you just go like, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to pass. Veggies were good. Very good on the veggies, right? I'll just have some veggies today. That's probably all I should have today. Like you can buy out of that uh, gracefully. You kind of see the situation here. These are very, <laughs> preparing for this passage, I'm like, how do we preach a message on these things? But it is applicable for us. And it's important. Conscious, I say, not for your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? In other words, why does their problem get to dictate what I do or don't do? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of? Why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We've heard this verse. We've heard this verse. And a lot of times we're not putting it in this context. The context here is whether you choose to eat or you choose not to eat this, let your motive be. Let the motive be, I want God to be glorified. That's a big churchy phrase with a lot of kind of like churchy baggage with it. Like, oh, glorify God, glorify God. What this means is do the things that are going to give God a good reputation. Not that we, he already has a good reputation that's going to endorse his goodness. Don't do things that are going to cause people to question God's goodness. For when you do something for God's glory, it's for his reputation. You're doing things to help promote his reputation. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Here's Paul's goal right here, that they may be saved. He's not seeking his own profit. A lot of times that's what we're doing with our liberty. Me, 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 what I want, what I want. He's going, put you on a shelf. As you make these decisions about your liberty, keep others in mind. Keep God's glory in mind and keep others in mind. So what areas am I more concerned with my personal gratification than God's glory or the growth of others? Man, it's hard for us to think about God's glory and the growth of others more importantly than ourselves, isn't it? It's easy to make a bunch of excuses, but really if we're like, what motivates me? I just want God to be glorified. I just want others to grow. God wants to move us more and more to that point. Moving into 1 Corinthians 11, I believe this verse goes with this part of the passage. And he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Do you remember when Paul gave up his right to be financially compensated for his ministry? He said, I'll forego it. 
He's saying, you know what? I was copying Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave up everything. He gave up all of his rights. He even was willing to come to earth in the form of a man. And not only come to earth in the form of a man, but to be crucified and die a criminal's death. He gave it all up. Paul says, I'm following his lead. Follow my lead. This comes back to be conformed to Christ, not the culture. What Paul's saying here is don't be a Paulite. What he's saying is be, imitate Christ. Be willing to give up your rights to yourself. So ask, we got to ask ourselves, what am I being more conformed to? Am I being conformed to the culture or the character of Christ? Now, I want to make this point as we move into communion. Today we're going to celebrate communion, and we take the cup, which is a symbol of his blood, and we take the bread, which is a symbol of his body or his life, that he was willing to give up those things. He gave up. He made a sacrifice so that we could have eternal life, so that we can have forgiveness. Sin has been conquered on the cross. We talked about sins, deceptive sins. In Christ, we already have victory over sin because of what Christ did on the cross. This is what we're celebrating today, remembering what Christ does. He says, therefore, do this in remembrance of me. That's what this is about, remembering what Christ did. If we go into this passage and it's all about what can I do, what can't I do, uh, what's my freedom here, what's my freedom there, oh, I feel like a sinner here. Those are good things to wrestle with. But none of it, it should all fall short of what Jesus Christ has already done for me. That's what we're remembering. Christ died to bring you forgiveness. Christ died to give you eternal life. Christ died to give you victory over sin. And that's what we're celebrating. It's meant to be used. That freedom is meant to be used. I want to pick also this verse. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body. In other words, he took on our sin. He paid it. He wore our sin so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. In other words, he took care of sin so that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. We can live righteous lives. And you know what brought the healing? His wounds. What he suffered. And that's what we're remembering. That's why it's blood. He shed his blood so that we could be saved. So that we could be white as snow. It's all because of what he's done. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Carly come up and, and play a little something uh, on the piano. The elements are in the back there. You can just take a minute and... Uh, just prepare yourself for your own heart. Pray. I would, I would encourage you, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you're trusting your good works, or you're trusting your grandparents, or you're trusting that you got an eight old Bible in the, from generations ago, that's not going to save you. What saves you is Jesus Christ. If you haven't put your faith in him, put your faith, put your trust in the salvation that he gives, and do that, uh, you're welcome to participate. I would encourage you not to participate if you're not trusting in Christ. And I would say if you're a believer and you have some sin that we talked about confessing and admitting, I would encourage you to use this time to take care of that. Just put it before him. Let him cleanse you, uh, cleanse that relationship. And then just whenever you're ready, you can go back and grab the elements.
grateful for Christ shedding his blood, I can personally say for me, uh, the fact that I can be forgiven and cleansed, that all of us, no matter what we've done, can be forgiven and cleansed. And it's only because of what he's done. And that's what we're doing is remembering what he's done on our behalf now. So Paul said, for I received from the Lord that which I also was also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We're just going to sing one more verse here in just a minute, but if you would just pray with me real quick. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he does give a cure to our sin. We desperately need it. Thank you for your love that endures forever. You are faithful when we're faithless. Thank you for your mercy and grace and kindness that none of us deserve. Help us, Father, just to be able to enjoy it, soak in it, even though we don't deserve it, just to really, really be able to accept it and believe it and enjoy it. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.